Hello, everyone. Uh, happy Friday and welcome to another weekly recap uh, with the Defiant Print team. I'm YYC Trader, Head of News, and I'm joined today by Owen Fernow and Jer Jeremy Nation, our reporters. And uh, yep, quite a news-filled week, despite the markets not really going anywhere in terms of Bitcoin and ETH. Uh, we're pretty much where we... Um, we're pretty much today where we started the week at around 1850 on ETH and uh, 29K on Bitcoin. But we did have a lot of, um, I'd say, important news for the, for the crypto space. We had PayPal, the payments giant, launching its own stablecoin on Ethereum. Um, in some good news for DeFi, we had the, uh, the Curve Exploiter returning. I think it's up to 70% of the funds have now been returned to the affected protocols and they're figuring out how to uh, get those assets back to their original owners. Uh, we had the Fed jumping in with a new program to targeted at uh, supervising crypto activities undertaken by US banks. Um, I think this, this is a, basically an acknowledgement that um, crypto and the traditional finance uh, system are now increasingly getting intertwined. So uh, they're kind of taking a proactive approach to, you know, uh, figure out what's going on before uh, we have a repeat of March with, you know, banks uh, coming under stress and, you know, everyone trying to figure out what to do at the last moment, right? So it's... Uh, I guess it's it is in a way a good thing that they are taking this step, but of course uh, the nuance and the details matter, right? As always. So anyway, we'll get into those uh, stories and more uh, in the recap. And uh, this show is brought to you by Bumper, which lets you defend your crypto from market crashes and downside volatility. Uh, more from them later. So let's dive straight in. Uh, Owen, do you want to start with the uh, PayPal announcement? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, everyone. Happy Friday. Um, so as we know, PayPal launched on or launched a stablecoin on August 7th that sent PayPal shares up 2% on the day. It didn't really boost Ethereum, maybe surprisingly, despite PayPal choosing the Ethereum blockchain to do the launch. So yeah, people are kind of grappling with it, trying to understand PayPal's angle. And I mean, the obvious thing is that reports coming out of Tether and Circle have shown that both of those stable coins, which are backed by U.S. Treasuries, have been hugely profitable. I think Tether hit something like $850 million in Q2 and over a billion in Q1. Um, I think, I think circles came out this week too, also in the high hundreds of millions. So PayPal is also launching a stable coin backed by us treasuries, which as most people who have been following the market know are, uh, at I think 22 year highs in terms of interest rates. So that's the high level. Um, I don't know if you guys took anything else surprising away from it. I mean, you know, the launch on Ethereum was noteworthy. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously that stable coins are big businesses. I mean, I wonder how many we need, um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and it's a, it's a financial giant getting into the crypto space, which, you know, during, during a bull market would have sent everyone, you know, screaming and popping champagne. Uh, so that's where we're at. We'll see, we'll see where it goes. We'll see if it matters or not. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at. Definitely interesting to see how the market is uh, reacting to this in the, in the bear market versus how the bull market sentiment may have been. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the been, like, market, news. Go ahead, Wazi. Yeah. I said in bull market, any news is good news. Mm -hmm. right? So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, not surprising to see a muted response uh, given that we're in the summer. You know, yeah. there's a lull in trading plus, you know, bear market. Um, yeah. Um, PayPal stock was up though. I was surprised to see that contrasted with. It seems like I don't. I don't know quite why Ethereum and Bitcoin are trading in such that that narrow band, but yeah, they haven't moved. Everyone's um, flipping friend shares on base, right? No one's interested in Bitcoin and ETH anymore. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that as well. Uh, the hot new meta, if you right. want to call it that. Right. Right. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, it remains to be seen how effective PayPal will be at onboarding new users uh, to yeah. crypto. Yeah, uh, it's it's a great um, it's great news for people already in crypto because it gives you another option in terms of uh, off ramping and stuff. I'm assuming, right? Once yeah. it comes live, especially for people in the US who are restricted from most exchanges. So yeah. I yeah. guess this is um, it is good news in that in that sense. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, moving yeah. on. Um, so Alchemix, I believe, was one of the, was it the only protocol that got everything back? Um, because I believe the hackers returned all the ETH and uh, Al ETH. Right? Yeah, Alchemix is at a hundred percent. I I am not up to date as of this morning. There may have been more returned. It looks like the block is reporting that seventy percent of the assets have been returned. So. I'm not sure about the exact numbers up to the moment. The story is from. Yeah, I think uh, basically the the person who exploited the CRV ETH pool is the only uh -huh. one who hasn't uh, re didn't respond to the uh, bounty or didn't return anything. So now mm -hmm. they've offered uh, the bounty to the public as they said they would, right? To right. Uh, find that person essentially. So I think that's that's what remains yeah. outstanding. Everyone else is kind of either taken 10% and returned it or like it's been white hats and of course alchemics. Um, yeah. That's interesting. So do you, do we know, I mean, how many, and how many hackers drained the pools? I mean, there was the MEV hacker, coffee, babe, they returned. I, I, I guess I'm, I, I wonder, and if you guys don't know all good, but who the, who, who's the holdout, I suppose. Are they the ones who also attacked Viper or are they someone else? It's well, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Um, not sure. Yeah. 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 But, um, but just, I think it's great for users that um, you know most of the assets came back. Uh, the ten percent hit is something that Cove can easily absorb, right? So it's uh, right. yeah, for the ecosystem. Yeah, and, and like while well, I see you've said in the past, you know, once projects get gets get hacked, it is hard for them to come back. So it'll be interesting to see how they do from a, I don't know, I, I guess a trust, public trust perspective yeah. after this has happened. I mean, in this case, it wasn't the curve contracts, right, True. at risk. So True. I don't think um, it's a reputational uh, hit as most exploits would be. Yeah. Uh, most people still think Michael's like King Dev. Yeah. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, He's been taking action to kind of shore up his uh, uh, outstanding loans across DeFi, right? So that's, uh, I think, added confidence. Uh, plus, we had Binance uh, also buying $5 million worth of CRV, right? We'll be right. publishing that story probably right. very soon after this call. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy week in terms of OTC trades and, uh, you know, yeah. just curve kind of getting back on track, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just hope that, I mean, yeah, you wonder whether the public can, I mean, even when writing, I found myself calling it the curve hack even and having to correct myself. So just hopefully that distinction makes it out into the public that it's actually about Viper, not curve. Yeah. yeah there's a lot yeah. of association, I think that just comes along the lines there and you know, it goes to show you, you know, when something like this goes down, it's not just the capital you lose, it's that reputational. And, you know, yeah. 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 And people are definitely more aware Sorry. Uh, no, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like, yeah, people are definitely more aware. I mean, I, I know I am of Michael's intense. I mean, I, I had written about them, but it just made them so, more, so much more real when he was making all these OTC deals that, you know, just that he has still tens of millions in, in borrowed funds are all borrowed against Curve. So anyways, it, it brought a lot of things to light, I think. I think this exploit for me, it raised a couple of uh, questions. One, is this the new normal, which is mm -hmm. where you ex like you exploit something, keep 10% and give it back. Mm -hmm. You know, we mm -hmm. saw it with the um, Euler exploit as well, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Same yeah. thing. Um, I mean, most of the, the big hacks that have happened, the high profile ones seem to be getting resolved in this way, which is good in the sense that, okay, it's like a 90% or 10% loss is much better than a hundred percent loss. Yeah. But does it, 
also incentivize people to say, okay, you know, this is like an easy way to make a few million. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, and uh, secondly, um, what does this mean from a law enforcement uh, perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, just because you returned 90% and the Dow agreed not to prosecute, yeah. uh, does that mean uh, the, the <clears throat> SEC or DOJ yeah. or whoever will say, all right, you know, the Dow agreed, so, uh, yeah. you know, we can uh, skip this? Or will it be like the mango markets thing where Avi <clears throat> made a deal with the Dow, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, they still went after him, so. Oh, did they? Did yeah, yeah. But the Dow didn't pursue legal action. The, the SEC pursued it separately. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but so, still, but yeah, it's like people are like, okay, who cares that you know, or the SEC can be like, who cares you made a deal with this decentralized organization? Like, or I think it comes down to the semblance of like, you know, you're you're basically ransoming this protocol. Like, you're going to them say, look, I found an error in your code, and you can give me money, and I'll show it to you, or I'll exploit your code, and then you can give me a bounty. And I don't think the SEC likes that type of activity regardless. It's, I think it goes a little bit further than the typical security auditing that exists in, you know, marketplaces. Yeah. 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 So, I think, uh, yeah, I think while we're on this topic, probably a good time to uh, dive into the uh, response to the hack, right? Because this is one absolutely. of the uh, measures that um, came in. Jeremy, do you want to take us through this? Indeed. Uh, So what we saw in response to, I mean, this hack and just the general state of crypto, I mean, in July alone, I think we saw over 300 million in hacks. Uh, So uh, um, from CERTIC and and, and that stat came up, by the way. So a lot of the individuals in the industry have formed together to to create a means by which individuals who have been exploited may disclose that information without necessarily exposing themselves to malicious actors. And this is called SEAL 911. It's a Telegram bot. Uh, And when you send a message to it, this bot alerts a team of experts from across several different teams that are well positioned in the space in terms of having you know, experience to handle these types of situations. And, And while a lot of times you may not be able to recover funds Turning to individuals who can actually help versus a myriad of scammers that come across with false hopes of trying to get your stuff back and then sending you a bunch of scamming links and, you know, really complicating the issue. Uh, It's a much better approach. Uh, You may notice that uh, MetaMask has a similar support function, uh, but but this is yet another means by which individuals can turn to a secure way to try and get help in the cryptocurrency industry, which we see very few of these options exist uh, in this ecosystem. While on the other hand, there are a great deal of individuals that are malicious actors just waiting in the wings to separate people from their cryptocurrency by providing false links, uh, stealing private keys, or otherwise exploiting infrastructures that have code that is not ready to be out there in the school of hard knocks that cryptocurrency presents. So SEAL 911, something that you can turn to. If you have an emergency, you can go and click that. I have an emergency button and it will ping one of the individuals on the team who will hopefully be able to help you in some sense and, and get some idea of what's going on. Uh, again, once funds are stolen, there is a very slim chance of recovery. However, having the right people to respond to it is a key difference and it can make all the difference. And, and having a, a rapid response where you can alert industry professionals and perhaps even get white hat support from, you know, to, to, to thwart these hackers, that's a big deal. And so this is a potential means by which that can be achieved without alerting the wider pantheon of individuals that have nothing interested, like they have no interest in the, in the benefits of, the, of any protocol or individual that are out there only to help themselves. Oh, absolutely. I think this makes a lot of sense because... Uh, even in this case, right, when the first exploit happened, I believe it was Metronome DAO, it was like 1.6 million or something, yeah. right? So if, for example, this bot existed and the tel- and that team said, I have an emergency and alerted everyone, it's possible, I mean, we don't know, but it's possible that uh, the White Hats could have alerted those other teams and potentially, I don't know, frozen the pools or paused them because... This is DeFi, but we, as we know, you know, teams still retain 
quite a lot of control over like smart contracts, right? I believe curves are immutable, so those couldn't have been paused. But in other cases, right, which uh, yeah. most DeFi lending and uh, uh, other protocols have pause functions, you know, for exactly this reason. Yeah. So it could, um, um, you know, hopefully help in future cases, which we're sure to see, unfortunately. So just a, another more robust layer of back channel communication to, you know, bulwark against these types of exploits is exactly what the industry needs. So it's great to see people working together to try and build these protocols to keep us safe. And, yep. and it's for, sorry, just one question. It's for, it's not like for like, is it for individuals? Like, oh my God, I lost, like, you know, I lost my sixth board ape, or is it like, you know, or it's like this, this protocol is in danger. Like, cause I feel like a, a helpline might get overwhelmed if it's, I mean, I already worry that. So, it I know it says like in emergencies only use this button. Right. And like, yeah. you have to kind of gauge what is an emergency to one person yeah. an emergency might be different to another. Yeah. I would say this was built more protocol minded given the extent of the uh, event that was the catalyst, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, it's built for people behind protocols to turn to someone that can help dis defend those protocols. Yeah, I would imagine that's the case. It's not like helping some guy get his private key back or, or something. So most yeah. likely no. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Cool. Just clarifying. Yep. So all right. So let's jump back uh, to some of the regulation news that we had this week uh, with on. the Fed, uh, as I mentioned uh, at the start of the stream jumping in to uh, take a more active role in regulating uh, crypto activities in the U.S. Right. So this came out on August 8th, and it's still not entirely clear to me how it's going to manifest, but the Fed uh, did announce plans to supervail novel, er, uh, sorry, supervise uh, novel activities in the banks it oversees, and these activities include technology-driven partnerships with non-banks to provide banking services, providing custody, trading, or collateralized lending services for crypto assets, and tokenized securities, and so forth. So, yes, basically, it, it seems like on a high level, the Fed is looking to, is, is acknowledging that there are all these novel activities that banks are looking at and potentially participating in or are partnering with technology firms which are enabling a lot of crypto adjacent activities. And so now they are like officially creating a unit for that. Hmm. And um, there was also another, uh, they also submitted a document saying that they're going there. They were like clarifying the, it was, it was very hard to catch up quickly because there's a, there's a lot of jargon, but um, they're also, Show like they're they're basically making banks, I believe, state banks, clear any stablecoin issuance with the Fed, which I I didn't quite realize was under the Fed's purview. So, yeah, I mean, the super high level is that the Fed is 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 looking to more actively supervise crypto activities in banks and bank partners. And we're going to have to see what that means. I mean, a lot of people were wrestling with whether this is bearish or bullish. And I think we haven't quite been able to figure out what is the case. I don't know if you guys have intuition here. I would assume it's a little. I mean, it's yeah. the industry's reporting on itself, right? So I would assume that they're trying to make sure they have all the information about what their activities are in that sector. And they may be preparing to do that to avoid regulatory scrutiny or to show that they have a paper trail of uh, documentation regarding their, you know, what type of partnerships they've been building pursuant to any future regulatory moves that are being made. Uh, but it's very difficult to say. And that's probably why we have no clear kind of movements from the market in terms of this type of news coming out, right? We have all known that the banking sector is interested in, uh, you know, stable coins and in cryptocurrency in general. But there's been no major push from that industry yet into crypto, which has probably been forestalling a great deal of growth, perhaps yeah. extending bear market conditions. However, this doesn't seem to me to be any great indicator of it. It seems to be more a kind, of, kind of like a, the bank reporting again on itself and trying to figure out, you know, who's going to be 
managing this. You, you mentioned that they're reporting to the Fed. Is there a precedent for the Fed to be taking the reins in terms of like central bank digital currencies or stable coin development in terms of, you know, banks? Yeah, I mean, I mean when it comes but, to these uh, agencies and their um, they can say whatever they want, right, yeah. in policy statements until yeah. someone pushes back either another agency, Congress, or someone who they answer to, that's the status quo. Right. Right? What has the SEC been doing? They've yeah. made no rules for crypto, but they just enforce and, you know, call whichever tokens they like securities. Or, right. you know, it's, uh, but there's no, there's no checks and balances in, in terms of like what they say. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, we can take this with, uh, uh, you know, a mountain of salt and see what actually comes out of it. Uh, I haven't read the text myself, but it seems like they're trying to make it more difficult for banks to um, issue stable coins. So they yeah. basically make it so cumbersome where you, the bank says, you know what, it's not worth the head, uh, the hassle. Let's just uh, avoid this entirely. Yeah. Right? Especially the big banks. Like why would JPM or, or any of the uh, Bank of America or whoever... Yeah. want to get into this business, which, which would be what, 0.05% of their overall business, mm -hmm. and then have to deal with, uh, you know, uh, the Fed poking the nose into uh, probably everything else that they don't want them to see, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, Nick Carter, the investor, said essentially that, that he didn't think banks were going to go near stable coins until there's some kind of legislation allowing them to issue them. So interesting. Yeah. 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 Interesting times. Yeah. And interesting with yeah. Facebook or PayPal Absolutely. too. Yeah. And speaking of stable coins, um, you were looking into Aave's recently launched um, stable coin, right? And why it's been uh, consistently trading under its peg. Yeah. Um, I, I can get into that. Let's, let me just pull that up. So yeah, we, we we did notice that Aves Go stablecoin, which launched nearly a month ago, July fifteenth, has been trending down since launch. I think I saw it kissing like ninety seven point one cents. So yeah, it's it's trending lower. Looking at whether that's a big deal and whether people are concerned about it, we reached out to. Stani, who founded Ave back in the day, I think it was like 2017. Um, and he basically said that they weren't super concerned. Go is very young. The Dow chose a very low interest rate. And so they're there. And, and they're more, um, you know, they're going to announce a module which should stabilize it. So I guess for background, right now, you can borrow Go at one point. Five one percent against your assets on Ave, which is super low relative to what you can get elsewhere on Ave and DeFi, especially considering the Curve Hack, which has sent USDC loan rates above ten percent uh, a lot of places. So I, you know the suspicion is that there's an obvious arbitrage to borrow, go at that low interest rate, deposit it, and earn a higher one, capture that spread. So that may be happening. Um, cause supply of go has been growing correspondingly with the, uh, the peg dropping. So we'll, we'll, see where that goes. And, mm. um, yeah, just the last thing is that Ave is voting on a peg stability module, which allows one-to-one -one redemptions with other, uh, whitelisted assets. I, I mean, assuming stable coins and that is, was instrumental in, um, stabilizing die the maker DAO stable coin. So, they also anticipate that that will have a huge impact here. And that is not a controversial vote on Aves forums. They're pretty much hundred percent behind it. So that's where that stands. And it, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how, how go goes and we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, uh, I think that makes sense. Um, your theory, uh, yeah about people selling go for other coins because yeah. i mean the arbitrage is pretty attractive right you yeah. can especially right now with the rates elevated on uh, ave in the wake of both the exploit and i think general risk off sentiment uh, we saw uh, quite a few um, 
quite a lot of stable coins being pulled off uh, curve and Aave, right in um, in the last week yeah i think the rates are hovering around 10% now for yeah. usdc um, and tether so yeah makes a lot of sense to just borrow sell it for one of those and then deposit it right it's interesting yeah. to see that um, crv usd um, has been rock solid despite the exploit despite uh, despite everything yeah. uh, crv uh, contagion fears and everything it's uh, those peg keepers and whatever those guys have cooked up seems to be working right yeah yeah it it is interesting and and I, and i did notice i think it didn't make it into the article but further evidence for the arbitrage theory i, I think people are borrowing crv usd at it was at least three percent. I mean, it, it varies based on the collateral, but I think everything was at least three. So, uh, just again, contributes to maybe go as a more attractive option to arbitrage against other rates. Yeah, so, and yeah. Uh, like Stani said, it's still early days. Just twenty million. That's yeah. like yeah, yeah. the stable yeah, coins still a baby. You know, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not even reached like toddler stage yet. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. It's um, just because the Ave brand is pretty strong, so you have to scrutinize yeah, them a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I guess, yeah, they're bootstrapping adoption. Instead of throwing incentives in terms of tokens, they've just offered a low interest rate. So it's like mm -hmm. one and the same thing, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, makes sense as a bootstrapping mechanism. So yeah, um, I'm. I love that we have so many options now in the stablecoin uh -huh. space. As a DGen, I love it because there are pairs of each stablecoin with the other. So you have so many ways to earn uh, excess yield, which is amazing. Uh-huh. Just yeah. like on curve pools, you feel like? All over the place because you have yeah. like other DEXs which are building, which like, uh, I forget the name now. But there are other projects where you can deploy curve LP tokens to earn like additional yield, right? And now mm -hmm. you have so many different pools because all these stable coins are paired with each other. So you have like, like the one in the article, right? You have go CRV USD pool. Yeah. Then you have CRV USD paired with like USDC, Tether and the other ones. Then you have yeah, a yeah. go pool. Then you have, there's a new one called R, mm -hmm. which is another stable coin. And then there are so many liquidity forks that mm -hmm. have popped up like um, Gravita is one mm. that I'm using currently because they don't have a token plus um, you get to borrow for free, essentially, if you um, uh, have the loan open for more than six months. So yeah. um, seems like a good deal. And you can uh, essentially use LSTs as collateral. So this is all linked, I'd say, to the LST5 boom, right? Mm. So everyone's kind of slicing and dicing that 5% E-field into, uh, you name it, uh, if you want, like on Pendle, for example, you can buy the yield, to just the yield token uh, right. maturing in 2024, 25, right. uh, all the right. way out, right? right? So that lets you speculate simply on whether the yield will go up or down, right? Because yeah. that token would uh, move correspondingly. So, um, yes, uh, there, I saw some threads uh, over, the, over the week saying, you know, well, there's no DeFi innovation happening and like there's no new stuff really coming in, but which is true to some extent. Yes, we still have, uh, you know, the major primitives haven't really changed. We have like the DEXs, which is Uniswap, some synthetics, which uh, <clears throat> uh, synthetics basically pioneered, right? And yeah. uh, a few other major protocols, which let you do the basic financial uh, transactions that you need in crypto, like borrowing against it, stable coins, stuff like that. But beyond that, nothing that came out of like, post DeFi summer really stuck around, right? Yeah. So yeah. I guess it's, uh, we'll have to see if LSDFI is another flash in the pan kind of uh, narrative or it's, it has kind of staying power in that sense. I, I think it's got legs. I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, it, it's, I, I don't know. I, I think it's got legs. I mean, that, that, that yield is, is not, it's not coming from token incentives built on top, right? It's coming at the core protocol level. So uh -huh. I mean, seems... part of it is, right? We still have slight inflation in terms of block rewards for validators. True, true. But I guess it's just that it's that it's ETH. You know, it's Ethereum. It's not like some random coin that someone just like spun. Ultrasound money. 
yeah, yeah. It's it's native to the whole thing. It's not like yeah. some, you know whatever. Someone just like it's the settlement layer of the internet. <laughs> yeah, and we're seeing this happen now, right? I saw. I think it was a VC investor who put out um, a tweet a couple of days ago. So the top gas consumers on Ethereum are now all essentially, apart from Uniswap and like the hot project of the day, which comes in, but it's all these layer two uh, sequences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so what he, uh, I forget who it was who tweeted, but he basically he said that in the future, if like the layer two thesis plays out, uh, ETH will be basically like the fuel that corporations stock up, you know, in terms yeah. of uh, for the future, right? So that they can yeah. keep settling their L2 transactions. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Definitely but we hope since we're still here that we're early. So let's hope it plays out, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, before we uh, move on to the um, um, more stories, let's uh, have a quick word from our sponsor, Bumper. So here's something new. Bumper your assets to defend them from price drops without losing upside exposure. You set a price floor and term length, then lock your tokens into the protocol. When your term ends, if the price has fallen under your floor, you leave with stable coins at the floor's value. Otherwise, you just take back your original asset. Bumper is going live in August, and it's one of the most innovative DeFi protocols for hedging being built right now. So check out bumper.fi. There's links in the description of this video. Now back to our story. All right. Uh, Bumper has been around for so long. I... I remember participating with Robin in the uh, IDO they did back in 2021. Oh, uh, yeah, right. yeah. Still got those tokens. Yeah, yeah. I'll see how yeah. it goes. Uh, not doing too too well, but uh, I mean, it's great to see that the, the project's building and doing something. So uh, yeah. we we hope for a recovery. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Um, all right. So moving on, uh, we had uh, this week was. Uh, dominated in the DeFi space by Base, the new Layer 2 from Coinbase, which completed its uh, general access launch, is what they're calling it, which is basically opening it up to the public. Um, officially, because it was kind of open to the public if you knew if you knew what you were doing uh, for the last couple of weeks, right? It was open to developers who in turn uh, launched a bunch of meme coins, uh, Bald, uh, which was uh, one of them, and... Uh, kind of, I think, left a bad taste in many people's mouths who were using base for the first time. But first time. Um, yeah, all that is uh, done with and it's now open to the public. And uh, they've taken an interesting approach in terms of being very clear that there's no airdrop planned, at least for now. But uh, they're trying to incentivize people to use the chain by partnering up with uh, a bunch of projects, companies, uh, NFT artists, etc., to do this whole on-chain summer campaign. Owen, I know you were uh, skeptical of the name when they first floated it, right? Uh, have you changed your mind on that? Or? Oh, I mean, I just like, I don't know. Everyone just like, everyone busts out these these summer, I don't know, everyone wants to call every, something summer, but man, it's August, like. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I just think I think everyone loves loves to call things summer. But no, it's great. It's very mimetic. Bases TPS is ahead of uh, Arbitrum and Optimism already. I was looking at L two beat, so they're they're number two, just behind zk Sync and Ethereum itself. So we'll see how long that lasts. But you know, they're doing something right on launch week. It seems like. Yeah, absolutely. So, yep. So completely different approaches being taken by. Um, a base versus something like, say, Consensus Linear or ZK Sync Era, which are both mm. competing uh, layer twos. But um, they they've made no secret that uh, you know a token's coming, which is why you know Dgens are farming it uh, pretty aggressively, right? And you see ZK Sync, uh, yeah. But Linear, yeah. no, right? I feel like Linear hasn't teased one, have they? Um, I, not officially, but yeah. uh, I th of all the layer two, personally, I think. Um, Linear's has uh, the best chances for a lucrative airdrop because mm. it, it isn't being farmed to death like ZK yeah. Sync is, for example. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it is consensus backed, right? 750 mil raised and... Uh, yeah. 
Uh, How else do you monetize your investment if the gene takes off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See. Anyways. Yeah, Coinbase, of course, has, you know, regulation concerns and, you know, they don't need to give Gary more ammunition to come after them, right? Saying that, oh, you dropped a security now. But, um, yeah, again, um, will it be possible for them to maintain organic usage post on-chain summer Hmm. without a token? That's, I think that's the question that uh, uh, everyone's kind of uh, looking to answer, waiting and uh, seeing, basically. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, it's doing better than their, uh, than they, they had an NFT marketplace, right? That, that didn't go very well. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think uh, it did, uh, I mean, embarrassingly low volume. Yeah, it was, it was really bad for a second. It was like $1,000 a day or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it did, like, in its lifetime... Uh, the volume that it did was less than OpenSea was doing in like a few hours at the time. So, yeah, yeah, something crazy. But uh, in terms of the layer layer two, especially building on the OP stack and trying to be part of the super chain, its vision for the future and stuff. Yeah, I think they have a good uh, uh, good chance. You know, especially given that uh, you know US based and uh, Ethereum, whether we like it or not, is still kind of us centric right in terms of nodes the community everything so yeah um i think it was jeebus who tweeted this morning saying that uh, he he's thinking base could be like bnb chain but without the binance baggage yeah mm. right Indeed. so that's how it started back in 2021 right it was meme coins then DeFi, basically forks of uh, stuff on eth right pancake swap yeah started that and then moved on but at least now we have uniswap itself is live on base so i think pancake swap as well might be launching might be live already but yeah uh, yeah they've been expanding yep and if you guys haven't seen it already we did a great video on um, getting started on base so how to bridge um, a step-by-step guide uh, done by our video team so make sure you check that out if you're looking to get started with base and uh, most of the NFTs that they are offering over the uh, course of the campaign are time limited. So uh, <clears throat> if you are planning to participate, I'd say, you know, keep get started now because it's really cheap to mint most of them, like cents and gas. So if they do end up doing an airdrop down the line, uh, these things might uh, play a role. You know, like early users usually... Uh, get rewarded the most, right? And is what we've seen from past airdrops. So, Let's see what's going Start on. Start generating those on chain records, everyone. Yep. All right. Uh, this was something um, that I've never seen before. Um, a mystery wallet, ND4.eth, has burned more than $8 million worth of ETH. Uh, tokens, NFTs over the last couple of weeks. And there's been no explanation. No one's uh, been able to get in touch with them. And people are just uh, speculating as to why someone would do this. Uh, just yesterday, the wallet burnt um, one uh, a bunch of GNS and GMX, which are uh, tokens for perpetual trading protocols on GMX is on Arbitrum. GNS also, I believe. Uh, might be yeah. on multiple chains, but yeah, decided to burn it all in the past two hours. No explanation given. Um, over the past day, he's burnt uh, a bunch of bored apes, three apes, two mutant apes, a crypto punk. Uh, all in all, NFTs worth about uh, 300k just uh, tossed into the virtual bonfire. Right, good, and the line. same address uh, started this whole. Uh, uh, you know, I do. I, I honestly don't even know what to call it. Like, what is this guy doing? Like, it makes yeah. no sense. Sacrificing to the gods of crypto. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a fun one. Some people just want to watch the world burn. Everyone, I I don't know what to say. Uh, and this individual has put up enough, you know, in assets to buy a small mansion. Um, and this was really nice to see. Someone actually minted and sent this NFT over to uh, ND4.eth, you know, just uh, saying, you know what, 
try and get some help, take take a break, walk away from the computer, right? So, uh, whereas most of the people who are messaging or sending him stuff were basically saying, hey, could I have that ape or, you know, yeah. begging for the NFT. Send it here instead, yeah. right? That's what they're saying. So, yeah, this was yeah. nice to see. But uh, one of the strangest uh, things I've seen uh, yeah. in all my time in crypto. Yeah. I mean, it'd be, yeah. It'd yeah. just be interesting to get an interview for, with him. Uh, but, you know, if we could ever get a hold of him or her, yeah, who, or, or the group of people. Uh, it'd be Maybe interesting. Maybe they show a tax law, so I don't know. I can't imagine. Nah. I, I mean, the wallet has nothing left now. It's down uh, to like, it had, I think, 2300 ETH back in January, and it's down to like 0.2 ETH or something. Yeah. It even burnt the um, ENDS domain. So it's no longer ND4 or ETH. The mm. address formerly known as ND4 or ETH. Right, right. Oh, yes. And he spent 10 ETH uh, registering that address last year. And it was registered till 2042, I believe. So. Christ. Well. Anyway, um, only in crypto, right? Sure. Um, and then in, in DeFi news, we had MakerDAO that uh, hiked the DAI savings rate uh, to 8% last week in an attempt to boost uh, growth. And uh, yeah, no surprise, uh, you know, DGENs love their yield. So yeah. uh, nearly 700 million in deposits have flown in, most of it through Spark protocol, which is a, a lending protocol based on RVV3, but developed by its by developers who are also working on MakerDAO. It's kind of in-house. It's their in-house lending protocol, if you want to call it that. Um, and it's uh, basically DAI-focused. Um, and it's been uh, understandably... Basically, it's the only way to directly access the DSR. So if you want to deposit DAI, you'd go through Spark. So it's kind of right interlinked. So yeah. we've seen the DSR just skyrocket right so it's tripled from about 300 odd million to over a billion now yeah and at the same time uh the tvl on spark has gone from 60 million to i think 400 440 yeah 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 Yeah, amazing yep um again um is it going to be sustainable or are these deposits just going to move away once the rates drop um it's something that we'll need to See, I mean, in most cases, at least judging by past uh, performance of protocols, uh, money follows the incentives, right? Mm. So there's always another farm offering a little bit more or uh, a lot more if it's a lot less secure. So greener pastures. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, Rune justified jacking the rate up, I believe, as, uh, yeah, like as a, as a, temporary growth cost uh so yeah it it was yeah i do wonder what he thinks of that because it seemed like he he seemed to be portraying capital as not as mercenary as i think of it so we'll have to see how it goes yeah i mean um rates have gone up across the board right Mm -hmm. in terms of borrowing lending uh both ways yeah so uh like you can see from this chart die borrow fees on uh, ave have been extremely volatile yeah, right, especially over the summer. So I think it's good that we have uh, more options in terms of lending protocols, more protocols offering fixed rate options, right? Which is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm always in favor of more choice when it comes to DeFi. Right? That's that's what DeFi is all about. Like money Legos. Yes, it it does lead to potential exploits when you stack all these things. But uh, I mean, we're still building. It's test and prod, uh, work in progress stuff, right? So as long as you are aware of the risks that you're taking when you get into these things, <clears throat> uh, you know, the more the merrier, I say. Hmm. I don't want to see us become like the traditional banking system where JPM owns everything or like a couple of protocols, you know, end up with 99% of the TBL. Mm. You know, that that wouldn't be... DeFi for me, you know, then we're just building the same system again, but on chain. Yeah, another iteration of centralized finance on chain. And speaking of financing, uh, we're seeing some a bit of a hangover from the bull market uh, show itself now. 
Um, so Goldfinch is a debt capital marketplace that lets um, uh, DeFi users, what you do is you deposit uh, your stable coins into these pools that are then managed by delegates who lend out that money um, or use it in various ways. Looks like So there are some pools that, for example, can hold uh, U.S. treasuries, right? Because that's, uh, you know, the thing in demand these days. But it can also do other things. They can be farming DeFi. They can be lending to small businesses in emerging countries, which is what this particular loan was doing. Huh. So they lent $5 million back in 2021 to this company called Tugende, which is what it does is it finances motorcycle taxis in Kenya. Yeah. Uh, right. So um, back then, and even now, I'd say, you know, the narrative is great. You know, you're actually financing something useful, you know, helping the drivers, uh, you yeah. know, become entrepreneurs that can own their own machinery rather than, you know, being stuck in that rental cycle for their whole career, etc. But when that company decides to bail out its Ugandan subsidiary using some of those borrowed funds without telling Goldfinch or the people who lent it, uh, you have an issue, right? Indeed. And this is exactly the problem with off-chain assets or like, traditional finance in general, right? It's opaque. You have no clue what's happening behind the scenes. And the only clue that you have that something's gone wrong is usually two months later, uh, you know, the bank comes out and says, you know what, we're writing down uh, hundreds of millions or whatnot, right? So mm -hmm. in this case, the amount was 5 million. And uh, the team is, of course, doing everything they can to kind of, uh, you know, try and recover uh, funds. But uh, at the same time, it is a substantial loss. It's about 4% of the protocol's TVL. Yeah. And uh, so it's basically throw, uh, eating into the yield uh, from the last year, right? So everything, all the profit that LPs potentially would have made um, has been eating, eaten up by this loss. That's mm -hmm. terrible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Goldfinch, it's such an interesting project that it is a shame that this happened. I mean, I was excited to see crypto have a, have a real world effect. Uh, so anyways, on a personal level, I'm, I'm, I hope they, I hope they make it back. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, like I said, like the narrative is great. The concept is also great, but uh, execution in these things is always it's really hard. Yeah. 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 Like I worked in banking and even when, uh, the borrower was sitting in front of me, I knew this guy's going to default because, you know, you could tell, like, there were ways, uh, you know, scams and things are so rife in uh, traditional banking, you know, like people falsify documents to get loans, falsify revenue. Mm. Uh, I mean, Trump's being charged with exactly that, right? Inflating the value of his uh, properties, etc., to get uh, loans. Mm. So it's at all levels. Yeah. Say, right? So, uh yeah, crypto, obviously, blockchain finance and the transparency that it offers, uh, you know, that's something that we aspire to change. Yeah. These things. But when yeah. you take blockchain money and then withdraw it off chain and lend it somewhere, you, you're back to where you start. Yeah. yeah, you almost need these organizations to come on chain, right? And if you can verify their financials on the blockchain, it's probably a lot easier to make those loans. Indeed. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's what... Uh, I mean, some of the talking heads in the space talk about, right? When uh, you talk about tokenizing everything. Yeah. Or, right. That's yeah. 10, 15 years down the line, if things play out as we hope they do. Yeah. Uh, at least for our bags. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, um, even before we get there, we're talking about years and years worth of bureaucratic protocols and procedures that need to be ironed through for them to be able to custody these assets, let alone manage them with regulatory approval and risking them. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we're still in our little sandbox, you know, the crypto market as a whole under a trillion dollars, right? Like we're worth less than Apple or Tesla <laughs> as the industry. Yeah. Right. So, um, I mean, the bear market hasn't shaken my faith that crypto is a better way to transact. There's no doubt compared to traditional banking transfers, wire transfers, you know, just sending value to anyone on the planet instantly yeah. is in itself an amazing use case. But mm -hmm. 
that's not enough right so yeah i mean we're already seeing banks kind of adopt or look to adopt uh dlt technology right we had swift do a uh, do some research pilot yeah. into kind of adopting blockchain tech for their own purposes but that won't help defi right yeah right? because that's going to be their own permission version of whatever they pick tech that they pick and they say okay we're going to use this this technology but not really acknowledge that there's this crypto economy or industry that functions outside yeah. right? and that's not uh, <clears throat> what we should hope for right we want yeah. um everyone to come on to public blockchains because that's the whole idea of everyone being able to uh, verify and uh, <clears throat> make sure that there's no hanky panky going yeah on. that is the big danger i i had i had an interview it was a couple months ago now but it was it was someone who had yeah they had employed employed a dlt technology and they claimed to be processing like more volume than ethereum somehow but just between banks so yeah, I, just to your point, I mean, I, I do think, yeah, private DLT solutions probably pose a pretty decent risk. Well, I mean, on an interface that's a permission network, it's no surprise they were able to exceed the transaction volume of Ethereum. Yeah. We're talking about something that's scaled out to hundreds of thousands of network participants on the Ethereum level, so. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're building something for a bank. I mean, they're going to pick up volume, I suppose. Yeah. Yep. Um, Forex on chain, that is still something that not, I, I don't think anyone's crap, uh, cracked that yet. Uh, you can trade like perpetuals based on currency pairs on a few yeah. exchanges, but uh, like actual Forex, which is like trillions in volume a day. Yeah. Getting a slice of that market on chain would be, you know, I'd say that alone could float crypto for a long time, you know, just because... Yeah. The whole world needs this service, right? Everyone uses different currencies. It's so hard in some countries to get a hold of dollars or any kind of hard asset that you want. Yeah. So um, we saw that in South America and stuff, right? With uh, uh, and Africa, like that's they're actually using crypto for some of its, uh, you know, big picture yeah. goals that. Uh, we in the space have kind of uh, it's gone into the background because we're so into the forest that we don't like we're into yeah. the trees we don't see the forest so yeah yeah but you would need you'd need all those currencies to get on chain no like you'd need you you know you'd need the yen and the real and all that to be you'd need like a tether for each of those right you would so, for, so it for, could be for forex to work Yep. So you'd need uh, an issuer or CBDC potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. CBDC, but then, yeah. if again, that comes back to the permission rails, right? So if countries launch CBDCs and say, "Oh no, you can only use these tokens on our network," that yeah. like def defeats the purpose, right? Because then you still have capital controls and everything else that uh, make it so hard to send money internationally as it is today. Yeah, I think the CBDC ethos, I think, goes against the whole idea of what crypto was built to be with the semblance that like a government could say you can't spend your money on Tuesday, perhaps, or to buy any more of X product. You know, they can fine tune the programmability of the money down to that scale, whereas you've built this programmable money that's supposed to be for the means of distribution. Right. And so it's kind of antithetical, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, we're reaching the end of the hour, but um, so much for uh, running it through quickly today, right, guys? Sorry, but guys. A lot of news, actually. Yeah. Uh, we like for the summer. This was an action-packed week, right? So uh, let's quickly run through uh, some of the other major stories from this week. All right. Well, we've got the Frax founder Sam Kazemian, who's proposed a uh, collaboration by uh, a Delaware-based FinRes PBC. It's a company doing business as that name. Uh, it's been spun up to manage Frax's traditional financial assets in the protocol's 
V3 strategy, which would uh, handle more off-chain uh, risks. Now, they're talking about taking custody of assets such as uh, small cash deposits, treasury bills, and the like. Um, currently, uh, the sixth largest stablecoin with a market cap of like around 800 million, Frax is trying to integrate these traditional finance things right into the blockchain. And uh, in so doing, they're tapping FINRA's PBC not to take profit or anything, but just basically to operate uh, at cost and then send all of the yield that it gets from custodying those assets back to the protocol. Um, so I think that this is kind of like what we were talking about earlier, like a lot of the reiteration of financial products in the uh, traditional finance world back on chain uh, is just kind of a way that DeFi is exploring uh it's viability in terms of, you know, how are we going to be able to custody more of these assets? I think it's actually very interesting to see. Uh, we've also, I was talking to another individual recently about how um, their protocol is looking at, uh, you know, potentially custodying more real world assets as well. So it's, it's definitely something that has been a trend amongst uh, some of these, some of these, some of these uh, entities out there in crypto. Um, Cool. Yep, I think everyone's jumping on this bandwagon because like uh, Owen wrote in the story, there's so much money in it. Look at Tether and Circle. Like they don't care it's a bear market. It's actually good for them. Like people yeah. want stable coins. All right, like here you go. You know, yeah. what, in the meantime, like the user gets nothing for holding USDT or USDC, right? And uh, these guys are getting uh, rich off the reserves. Yeah. There's really no upside for like a trader to custody a stable coin when they know the volatility of it is null. I mean, unless it, unless you have a great deal of confidence and the stable coin depegs from the dollar, you might, you know, put a long position on it knowing you're coming back up to a dollar. That's like whatever percentage it goes down. That's almost a guaranteed, uh, a guaranteed trade in your favor. However, this is not like the status quo. As a matter of fact, if it was the status quo, they wouldn't call them stable coins. You know what I mean? So, um, more stable coins is, however, something that can entice traditional financial players into the marketplace, right? Because if they have a larger basket of stables to look at, it might entice them to say, hey, look, I can expose myself across multiple chains with these coins that are relatively stable and create perhaps yield pairs so that they can start to see some of that happening. But again, there has yet to be any clear regulatory means by which a lot of these companies can expose themselves to these yields. So it's still a very primitive space. Yep, absolutely. But this is a great move, in my opinion, because even Maker, right, it doesn't pay out uh, what it makes on its treasury to die holders, right? It goes to the treasury. But in this case, you might have Frax as a stablecoin having its own nat native yield, which comes from the reserves, Right, mm -hmm. which can yeah. then be kind of boosted through the regular incentive method of farming and whatnot on various dexes. Yeah. So that might actually give Frax a leg up in terms of uh, you know boosting market share, etc. Because Dgens will hold it; they're comfortable with Frax. Frax has held its peg uh, through every you know uh, whether it was a market crash or exploit or you know uh, pools getting drained. It's been quite solid. Uh, yeah. since the launch right and um originally i was a big uh, critic because it was essentially wrapped usdc mm -hmm. but uh, with the introduction of you know the uh, frax lst and you know other forms of collateral i think it's now uh, i would prefer honestly holding frax to die mm -hmm. because well, we know uh, you like yield so <laughs> yeah and because uh i when it comes to the founder's vision, I'm more aligned with uh, Sam than I am with Rune. Yeah. Right? I don't know what that guy might do the next day. Like, he can he can post or, like, do anything, you know? So, when it comes to a stablecoin, you know, uh, predictability, to me, personally, of course, this is my views, not the defiance or any, not trying to FUD uh, maker or do anything of that sort. But, yeah. uh, personally, for me, when it comes to a stablecoin, I like predictability, right? Yeah. Well, so. The proposals currently on under vote right now, about 1.2 million fracks have been voted for it. Zero against the when I checked, they had about, uh, again, out of 7.2 million quorum, about 1.2 million. So it's trucking on ahead there. Um, and it, 
you know, in a thread, if we wanted to kind of get to the other story that I was going to talk about here, Maple Finance is also expanding its cash management pool to accommodate, uh, you know, American investors that want to expose themselves to one month long treasury yields. Um, you know, this is a this is yet another move kind of like I, I was speaking to to the uh, the founder over there, Sidney Powell. He was explaining to me that real world assets are definitely on their radar. Uh and uh, he's aiming to delve deeper into the world of real world assets uh, by introducing a trade financial products within the next six to nine months, as a matter of fact. So, you know, outside of what they're currently exposing people to, this is definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, Maple, you know, pretty significant amount of attention being spent towards uh, custodying these real world assets and then providing a marketplace for them. Good on. Yeah, I mean, I remember Blake of Goldfinch. He was like, "DeFi should be boring," and maybe DeFi is getting a little bit, a little bit boring, which maybe is good for long-term survival. We'll have to see. Yeah, um, I mean, as long as interest rates remain high, yeah, um, it's a no-brainer to bring Treasuries on chain. Yeah, right? and uh, uh, because people have been so used to for the last two decades earning nothing on their savings, so when they see five yeah. percent, they go crazy. Like I'm seeing that, like even on in real life here, yeah? like yeah, talking yeah. about like banks offering uh, CDs at five, five point two five percent, and people are just like they're salivating at five percent. I'm like, okay, guys, you really missed out on DeFi summer. <laughs> like they were still earning zero percent back then, while we were farming at like two thousand percent APY, right? So, but uh, anyway. Um, so let's uh, end this, end today's stream with uh, an interesting story about one of the legends of the bull market. Right, right. The the, the pioneer of million percent APY, Olympus yes, now, absolutely, uh, is implementing a feature called Cooler Loans, which allows. I wrote the story a while back, but which I I think allows people to basically collateralize their ohm and borrow 95 percent against that um and and you're borrowing assets from the treasury and ohm has a pretty massive treasury i think like second biggest in crypto in terms of just stables and i think top 10 even including all the assets so basically there's a way in which this means that ohm holders can wind down the treasury by borrowing against their assets and then they're you know unlocking i'm just looking up now it's it's almost 200 million still um so they'll be able to unlock uh nearly 200 million which has been locked up there and yeah in some ways it's like i mean i interviewed one primary person there and you know he said yeah it's probably going to shrink the treasury which was kind of ohm's big Thing, which if you remember, you kind of bonded these assets for a discount and you gave them, uh, you know, more stable assets, which is why they have all these stable coins and they gave you Ohm. Um, big saga, which I maybe can't speak to articulately quickly. Um, but yeah, so basically, yes, we, we may be seeing a somewhat of a wind down of Olympus Dow, but it's hard to, it's, it's, it's hard to say and... I don't know. It's interesting. It, it's very, I, I just don't want to talk about it at the end of the stream because it's, it's, there's a lot of nuance there, but yeah, there's a way where it's like, Oh, it's the end of Ohm, but also I think they're an interesting project and it's good not to totally write them off because they, they got out of control and everyone copied them, but there was some interesting ideas there and they, they weren't like an outright scam. I think they didn't, I think they kind of lost control of the horse, so to speak. So what is the path? back into good graces for them that's a good question um let me i mean i could pull up uh give me a second um this chart is just like the bull market in one picture the uh, just the market cap yeah yeah it, it yeah. really hit four billion huh like yeah um that's about home. the good old days yeah I don't think I can speak to it, Jeremy, in like a quick, in a quick way. I, I, I mean, um, they've talked about a couple of mechanisms, but Perhaps I, I, it's just I wrote this it's question out there for us to contemplate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I wrote this like a couple of weeks ago. So 
um, it's not really yeah. loaded. So, yeah, anyway. I mean, they did, did build a lot of stuff that is still being used by projects today. The whole bonding mechanism of... Uh, uh, it did kind of turn liquidity mining on its head, right? Where instead of uh, just buying the token and staking it or whatnot, you were essentially providing liquidity for the token and then stake like giving over those LP tokens to the protocol. So that was yeah. a, like a two-way mechanism that not only bootstrapped the project, but you also like got very deep liquidity, right? So you didn't yeah. have these massive uh, up 50%, down 70% kind of candles. Yeah. Uh, like you, you would see with new token launches before that, right? So, yeah, yeah. I yeah, think refinements to yeah. it will, yeah. um, you know, continue to come on. I mean, there's an ohm fork on base right now. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, for people who have never been exposed to it, I mean, you can't. Uh, uh, you need to experience it once, in Deepa, <laughs> I think you know the just the thrill of uh, seeing that number go up. <laughs> As long as you know, get out before uh, everyone else, or at least the big whales, you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. When the yeah, chart's we'll vertical, it's a good time to sell. Yeah. Right on. Yep. So, anyway, thank you everyone for joining us today. I think we had a great uh, mix of stories. Uh, you know, some fun ones, some uh, uh, not so good in terms of uh, writing off loans, but uh, overall. A good week for crypto. We have base live, and uh, we'll have to see how on-chain summer plays out. So, thanks again for joining us, and we'll be back same time next week. Uh, see you then. All right, y'all. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening.